So I said, uh, my name is Jerry McKinney. I'm the pastor here. And I began to edge closer to him and lean into him. You can lean into people and they go like this, see. And I said, where do you go to church? And he told me, and I said, I bet you don't go regularly, do you? Well, no, I don't go every Sunday. So I bet you don't tithe either, do you? Well, <laughs> well. I said, I bet your pastor doesn't know where you are today, does he? <laughs> And pretty soon, the guy was backed up about six steps, and he wanted to run so bad, he was just, just shaking all over. He was coming undone. He said, well, you shouldn't do people that way. Well, he shouldn't come in as a visitor and go around aggressing on church members. <laughs> I'll tell you, if you know what you're doing, you can have a lot of fun sometimes. <laughs> He's really a nice guy. He just gets out of hand sometimes. There is a natural discernment which is what I was using on that man and using natural techniques. And there is a spiritual discernment. The first thing that happens when two people meet, the stronger aggresses and the weaker. When you take a group of teenagers and one is the leader, you know why they're the leader? It's usually not because they're smarter than the other kids, and it's usually not because they're tougher than the other kids. Although occasionally that's the case, usually it's because they're stronger spiritually. Not in the Holy Spirit, in the human spirit, they're stronger, and they aggress on the other kids. A relationship develops, and they have a little authority umbrella, and those people are there. You know, if, if that guy, being the teenage guy, 16, he's the mother hen, he's got all his little chicks, in crude way of saying, he's got his own little party because he has the dominant spirit. So what we're trying to talk about, if we can ever get away from natural discernment, I've just got so many good things involved in natural discernment. We're going to get to supernatural discernment here, I hope. You hang in there with me. We're working on it. I want to talk about, I keep, <laughs> I'm doing the best I can about getting on this, but this is one of my favorite topics. We could talk about it forever. <clears throat> I want to talk about discerning the spirit of man. We're not talking about discerning an evil spirit. We're not talking about discerning what the Holy Spirit is up to. Discerning the spirit of a man. The first thing that happens is your discernment tells you how strong the person is. Reading number one, pow, you get an instant reading of how strong they are. It doesn't take you ten years to find out how strong somebody is. Your spirit gets the reading right away. And I'll say this, your spirit is like a little mini computer. And it comes up and gets this electronic reading off everybody you meet. And all the information's in there about that person. Now, whether you can get any of it into your brain or not depends on whether you're in contact with your spirit or not. A prophet is a person who's in contact with their spirit. Because their spirit, their little discerner, gets the whole picture. How much of it gets into the mind depends upon the maturity level in the development of that person. Are you with me? So you little computer, you walk up and you say, Hi, Ralph, how are you today? Me, 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 me. And you get all this information right into your spirit. Now whether or not any of it gets up here depends upon where you're at in the Lord. The first thing that happens is how strong is it? The second thing that you'll get a reading on is how open is a person's spirit. Now this is probably the most difficult to define. But the only people who have a totally open spirit are people who are so wonderful, they're almost angels, 
are so evil they're almost devils. So we'll just say it this way. The only people with totally open spirit are angels and devils. And so most people have some amount of reserve, some amount of closeness in their spirit. Okay? And when you go to minister to someone, if their spirit is closed and you're going to pray for them to receive the baptism, the whole idea is for their spirit to be totally opened. And if their spirit can't be totally opened, they can't receive the baptism. I was talking to someone related to me the other day, and uh, not in my immediate family, in another state, across the United States, doesn't matter who it was. It was my cousin. <laughs> I won't tell you her name. It doesn't matter, okay? Quit thinking about who it was, John. <laughs> and she told me, she said, uh, I have some real problems. Do you think you could help me with them? I said, I can solve all of them. She said, you can solve all of them. I said, yeah, the Holy Spirit in me can solve every problem you have. Are you, are you sure? I said, yeah, no problem. I said, oh, there's one little matter. I said, you would have to totally open your heart to me. Just totally open your spirit with no reservation for me to actually enter into your spirit and help you. She said, I would never do that. I said, well, then I can't help you. Not into the discussion. The opening of the human spirit is a beautiful thing and it occurs, the total opening occurs at the point that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. All resistance gone, total openness. And there's a point when you're praying and ministering the baptism to someone, there's a point at which the, you sense an opening and there's a point at which just a total openness occurs. I know we're praying for one of the sisters who's sitting here on the <laughs> on Monday and uh, as we began to minister to her there came a point at which her spirit just burst open totally and any time that occurs there is a rush of anointing just just unbelievable I was so excited when she left I was up for two hours praying and carrying on I mean I was stirred up when I get that stirred up I just can't go to sleep I mean I gotta pray and dance and carry on you know she may have gone home and gone to sleep, but I didn't go to sleep. Debbie didn't go to sleep. We were really stirred up because the instant her spirit was totally opened it was just a beautiful, phenomenal thing. But the second reading you're going to get on something is it a totally open spirit. And if it's totally open, you're either dealing with an angel or a devil. And normal people have a degree of openness, but your spirit will read what degree of openness am I dealing with and you'll begin to make observations from that reading. The third thing I want to say that your spirit will pick up is how aggressive is the person. I'm not going to guarantee you that your spirit will pick each one of these things up in this order, but these are the things you're dealing with. How aggressive is the person's spirit? You see, there's a certain amount of aggressiveness that's expected and a certain amount of aggressiveness that is not expected depending on your situation and who you are and where you are and what the relationship is. If you go in to see a lawyer about legal advice and you begin to aggress on him and say, I'll tell you one thing about the law, buddy. You know, and you sit there and you keep aggressing on him, pretty soon he's going to ask you to be quiet or to go somewhere else and get another lawyer or do something. 
because he's helping you and he's a professional and you came for help and you continue to aggress on him it's just totally out of order it's just black it's just bad and if a superior at work finds out that you're aggressing upon him and he'll discover it pretty quickly he's offended because he's your boss you see no matter how strong you are and no matter how much your spirit may dominate other people if you speak gracious words and kind words and you don't specifically aggress upon them in any way they will recognize strength and they'll be impressed but they won't be mad at you but if you aggress upon them in your mannerisms they will not like you and you will cause yourself many 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 problems now one thing as a pastor or if you're leading a bible study or something that you will look for is the person who comes in cold off the street and aggresses upon you it has to be evil it can't be anything else it has to be evil and so when a person walks in with aggression and they walk up to you with aggression you already know i don't want to hear it it's wrong it's wrong so I have a revelation from God. I don't care what you have. I don't want to hear it. Because you're walking in aggression. And you're not supposed to be walking in aggression. You're supposed to be walking in meekness before the Lord. And so, uh, there are things that we look for. There's things that are just, oh, how strong is the Spirit? How open is the Spirit? How aggressive is the Spirit? Another one is how pure or how sinful is the spirit. It is not that difficult to determine the condition of a human spirit. You remember Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts chapter 8? We won't turn there. But Simon the sorcerer was involved in black magic, witchcraft, casting spells, uh, doing all kinds of things, and he was good at it and highly respected you know, palm reader, card reader, whatever you want to call it. But he was highly respected in his field and had done a few miracles and everything. And so he came along and he saw Peter and the guys and they prayed for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came on them and they just sensed, woo, this is wild. And so Simon says, would you teach me to do that? Would you teach me to do that, man? See, what happened is Simon was the great one. Then he came to the apostles, and they ministered to him, and they said, Now, Simon, you need to sit back and relax and learn. The Holy Spirit has a total refreshing and renewing to do in your mind, Simon. Just sit back and be cool, okay? But Simon didn't like not being recognized. He said, Hey, I've got power, you know. I've got power. I've been doing things in the spiritual realm. I've got power. And so he began to be upset with these guys and he began to be bitter about he used to be the great power of God. I mean, that was his reputation. Simon the sorcerer, he's the great power of God, man. He's a powerful dude. You know, he had all this reputation. So all of a sudden, his reputation goes zoop. And he dumps all his witchcraft. He comes and submits to Peter and these guys. And Peter's praying for people and they're talking in tongues. And he feels an anointing present. So he says, oh boy, this looks exciting. This is more exciting than what I used to do. Listen, teach me to do that. Would you teach me to do that, please? I'll pay you. I'll pay you. I'll pay you $200. Teach me to do that. 
teach me to do. I want to learn to do what you're doing. And the apostle said, I perceive that you're in the bond of iniquity and in the gall of bitterness. Now, hey, folks, let's be realistic. If you went somewhere and saw Kenneth Hagin praying for people and felt this tremendous anointing and saw people falling out and talking in tongues and everything, isn't it relatively natural for you to say, I wish I could do that. I mean, isn't that natural? You don't have to be a demon possessed to do that. That's natural. You think, well, I'd like to do that. And it's not that far out. I mean, people's time is worth something, isn't it? It's not that far out to say, look, could you train me to do that? I'd be willing to pay you something. I'd give you a couple hundred bucks or something for your time. Could you sit down and show me in the scripture and teach me how you would do something like that? See, that's not all that unnatural or abnormal. And yet, the apostle was so excited, he said, I see something in your human spirit. You're in the bond of iniquity. You're in the call of bitterness. Remember that story? He was describing the condition of Simon Magus' human spirit. And it was a supernatural revelation of the condition of Simon's human spirit. The work of a minister is impossible without sharp natural discernment and a gift of supernatural discerning of the Holy Spirit. The first time I looked at Deanne this morning, something in her spirit just caught me. And I knew that there was something I needed to say or do for Deanne. But I didn't have any idea what it was. But my spirit picked it up in her spirit that I needed to say or do something for her. Well, hey, that, that's fine. That happens, you know, every church service just about. But I don't worry about it. I go on with a service. And then at some other point, the Lord may say something else about her or something else about her. Or finally, he may say, she's lonely or she's going to do this or she needs to do that or she might want to do that. So whenever I get the information, then I would go over and say, Deanne, the Lord just wants to do this and such in your life. Now that is a word of knowledge from the Lord to do that specific thing, but the fact is my spirit picked up that I should minister to her, bang, just like that, as discernment. And so I knew already. If you brought a guy in here who really moved in the gifts of the Spirit a lot, and he preached a while, and then he started praying for people, usually he would have had, just through discerning of their condition, he would have had half a dozen people that he already knew he wanted to pray for before anything before he ever started praying or giving an invitation or calling out people, he'd already had half a dozen people picked out that the Holy Spirit just quickened him. I need to pray for her. I need to pray for him. I need to pray for that one. And he may not know anything about what he needs to pray for him about yet, but the Spirit in him has already given him a reading. There's a live one. I need to pray for them. There's a person with a need. I need to pray for them. There's a person with a need. I've got to pray for them tonight. And so as he's teaching and as he's preaching, he's already thinking about needs of people. And some of them he already knows what he wants to pray about and some of them he doesn't. But the Holy Spirit or his Spirit, and once you really are filled with the Spirit and you begin to walk with the Lord, it's going to eventually become 
almost impossible to tell the difference between where the readings are coming from because your spirit and the spirit of God become intertwined and you're going to have one tough job figuring out the difference a lot of times. But that man will have gotten a number of readings and have a number of things to minister because of discernment before he ever starts. And so your spirit will determine or discern how pure or how wicked a person's spirit is. Your spirit will also pick up certain characteristics about other people. Let me say this. You can't discern something without a spiritual interaction with the person. I can't discern something about Lydia without a spiritual interaction involved. All right? If Lydia is 20 miles down the road and I don't know her and somebody says, well, there's a lady named Lydia Speckmeyer and here it is. What do you think? Well, I don't think anything. What do you think? I can't discern anything about her unless I have a spiritual, my spirit to her spirit interaction and the discernment is the analysis and total comprehension of what happened. All right? And so Nathaniel comes to see Jesus. As soon as Jesus met him, as soon as he met him, they had a spiritual interaction. And Jesus said, now there's a man in whom is no guile. There's a man with a pure heart. He doesn't lie. He's not deceptive. He has a pure heart right there. There he is. And I'll assure you, Jesus didn't go around saying that about everybody he met. And when he said that about Nathaniel, everybody went, wow, Nathaniel, that's wild, you know. But see, that was a discerning of Nathaniel's human spirit, and he picked it up right away. So here's what kind of guy you are, Nathaniel. Now, most of what a prophet does in prophesying and ministering to people is done by his human spirit that has been trained through years of flowing alongside of the Holy Spirit. It's like your human spirit and the Holy Spirit are just flowing along together. And all the time that you're ministering, your human spirit is being trained by the Holy Spirit because your human spirit is seeing how the Holy Spirit is doing things and your human spirit is being trained. Most of what a prophet would do, if you brought in a person and he gave prophecy to every person in this room, most of what he would do would not be a supernatural revelation. It would be his human spirit that is highly trained and very sophisticated reading your human spirit and speaking to who you are. You're the kind of person who gets up early and works hard and strives to get ahead in life and you've always been an achiever. All he is is reading your human spirit. He hasn't heard anything from God. But by the gift of discernment that he has, his spirit is so well trained, he's telling you about yourself, and it's very helpful to you to find out what your human spirit is like. And as he discerns and as he reads what kind of person you're like, he may tell you half your life story just in terms of principles about what type of person you are. And then at some point, there may drop in there a specific word of knowledge. And he'll say, your husband died last year and it broke your heart. You've been coming unglued at the seams for a year and haven't known where to turn. And that word of knowledge will just, just blow your doors off. It's like the little Volkswagen with the hand grenades and 
But see, he was ministering to you and strengthening you and uplifting you and encouraging you in what he saw in you that was good. Most men of God will avoid that which they see that is evil unless God beats them in the head and says, you do something about it. Otherwise, they won't. I told you the other day I was standing with a man who's a prophet the other day, just two or three weeks ago, and this guy came up and he says, son, you got a problem with pornography and you need to cut it out. And he just laid this guy out and I thought, dear Lord, I'm glad that it's not me he's talking to in front of 300 church people. <laughs> but I mean, you talk about reading this guy's number, he read it out. Most men of God will not do that, even if they see something that is evil. They won't normally speak to it unless God just tells them to do it. But most of what they're doing is a reading into your human spirit. It has to do with a spiritual interaction and your little spirit computer beep, 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 gets a perfect reading. And somewhere between here and up here, we often confuse the message. Or oftentimes, we're not even trying to determine what the signal is. One thing that is difficult for people who have a pure heart and who are trying to serve the Lord is they'll be in a service and something will happen and they're just so sensitive to the Lord and this thing that happens will be applauded, you know, and praise God and everybody will shout, hallelujah, and everybody will say, yeehaw. And this person is so sweet and sincere and sensitive, felt in their spirit, that was bad. I didn't like that. I couldn't witness to that. And they go home dragging because they say, what's wrong with me? Everybody shouted amen. I couldn't shout amen. I just went, oh me, you know. Or else it'll be the opposite way. They'll see something happen and there's no response. Nobody said amen. Nobody said nothing. Just bleh. And they'll say, praise God, did you see it? Did you hear it? Woo-hoo! You know, and they're all excited because they got a reading and they understood the reading, but it contradicted what was said or demonstrated in the meeting. And oftentimes when I see that on a person's face, I'll go to them afterwards and say, what you were feeling was right. And don't be discouraged if other people didn't seem to be feeling that way. Because many times we're like the three-year-old child who's looking with his eyes and hearing with his ears and is not sensitive to the Holy Spirit within him. Oh, how we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The last point under this discerning the spirit of man is this. The motives and inner feelings become obvious. There's two scriptures I want to give you. I'll ask you to turn to the one. Hebrews 4.12. Will you turn there, please? While you're turning to Hebrews 4.12, let me make one comment about 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read a scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, but you stick with Hebrews 4.12. We'll be there in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 says, If all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, an unbeliever, or one unlearned, or someone who's new to the gifts of the Spirit, then he is convinced of all, he is judged or discerned by all meaning that Paul expected that in the church there would be many people 
who could discern and comprehend and see through and understand this unbeliever's problem easily. All right? Not something strange and unusual. Easily. Verse 25 says, Thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. Well, what happened to the theory that nobody knows what I'm like? Paul expects that the secrets of people's heart are demonstrated, discerned, and understood by those who are spiritual. I mean, is that right? Is that what the Word says? He says, The secrets of his heart are made manifest. Falling down on his face, he worships God and reports that God is in you of a truth. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, though, and I'd like to show you something and give you another principle. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, as a normal human being, I have a human spirit that is strong because I'm a strong individual. And my human spirit works with the Holy Spirit. And so I understand natural discernment, and I know a lot of the principles. And without the aid of the Holy Spirit, I can figure out a lot of things. And so can many of you. When the Holy Spirit comes into the picture, and when you're teaching or preaching or ministering to people or praying for people or praying with people about deliverance or a certain problem, and the anointing in you begins to stir, the higher intensity and the greater the anointing, the more activated your spirit is, and the sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper your discernment level becomes. What I will discern by the Holy Spirit and by my human spirit when there is a powerful anointing is far greater than what I will discern when there's no anointing or little anointing. And as the anointing level raises, what you discern increases. There's not a Holy Ghost-filled person in this room, but what if the anointing flows in a powerful, awesome way, your spirit will automatically begin sensing things you don't normally sense. And if you're not careful, you'll, you'll miss it. But it's there. It's there. And as that anointing level goes up, woo, you begin to sense all kinds of things you didn't sense before. And there's no limit to that. Now let's look at a very interesting scripture and often abused. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature or any person or any spirit that is not manifested in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him, the word, with whom we have to do. Now let me tell you something. There is nothing in that thing about the Bible. We just, in the scriptures we just read, there's nothing there that relates to the Bible in any way, shape, or form. And how often we've looked at that, well, the word of God is sharp and powerful. That's the Bible. It's not the Bible. Let's read it again. Look at this. Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can even pierce and divide asunder your soul realm from your spirit realm. 
Now, when did the Bible ever tell you that Lydia's soul was doing a certain thing in her spirit? Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, which is a different realm than your spirit. When did the Bible ever tell you what Lydia's soul was doing and what her spirit was doing and comprehend thoroughly everything that's in Lydia? Never. The Bible doesn't do that. Look at this. To the dividing of sinner's soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and there's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of Lydia's heart. Can I use you, Lydia, for illustration? When did the Bible ever explain to you the thoughts and intents of Lydia's heart? There's not a verse in here with, with Lydia's name in it. There is one of seller of purple in the book of Acts. She's a good woman, Lydia. But you know what I'm saying. This scripture's not referring to the Bible. Look at the next one. Neither is there any creature, no demon, no angel, no person, no spirit that is not manifest or open and understood in his sight. Whose sight? The Word's sight. Not the Bible. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him. Who? The Word. With whom we have to do. Now, there are many ways to describe something. If I'm standing here talking to you and the anointing level is on a certain level and the anointing just begins to soar and soar and soar and soar, you can say the anointing level soared. Or you could say a living word was stirring in Pastor McKinney last night. A living word. And you know what that living word when the anointing level soars? And the discernment gets oh so keen under the direction of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when that living word comes to work? That living word of God is alive. It's alive. It's powerful. It's awesomely powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's devastating. It can pierce even to the dividing and sunder of soul and spirit. And that is piercing into your very innermost being and knowing the difference between what you are and what you say you are and what you're thinking and what you're actually doing inside and all those things. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. When the Holy Spirit of God comes upon me and my human spirit is totally activated and the anointing level soars, and the power of God is present, then a living word is stirring within me, and that's what it's talking about here. And that living word is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature, no spirit being of any kind, human, devil, angel, nothing, that is not manifest or understood by that living word. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of the living word. That's what that scripture is talking about, a living word. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Let me see if I can just capsulize and summarize all that we've said, see if we can pull those together find a landing spot, as they say. We've said that discernment has to be based on spiritual interaction. You can't discern something about someone that's 100 miles away. Discernment is based upon your spirit having an interaction with their spirit 
and your little discerner goes to work and it gives you a reading which you may or may not ever get into your brain from your spirit, but the reading is there. There's not a person in this room who is saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, but what your little spirit, your little computer box, gives you a perfect reading. Christ in you makes no mistakes. That's another way of saying it, Christ in you. And another way of saying it was to be in Christ, in the anointing, all right, in the living word. Christ in you makes no mistakes. You know how often my discernment has been wrong? Never. It's never been wrong. It's always been perfect. Wonderfully perfect. Now, there may have been a time or two when between my perfect Christ in me discerner and my brain, there may have been a little jumble in the communication and I may have gotten the wrong message. But the discerner got the perfect reading. The compass doesn't point to the north and the north be the opposite direction. The discerner, Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit in you will get a perfect reading. Now that is the most glorious thing in the scripture. That's why Jesus said, if any man will do the Father's will, if any man has a pure heart, he'll know the doctrine if it be of God or not. You mean any man, even a dummy? Yeah, even a dummy. Even somebody who's had no Bible training? Yeah, even somebody who's had no Bible training. Well, how is it that a person with no training, no education, only got saved yesterday, will automatically know of the teaching if it comes from God? Because his little discerner, if he's saved and has the Holy Spirit, his little discerner is never wrong. It's never wrong. Now, I caution you, brothers and sisters. You may sometimes get a, a scrambled connection between here and there, and you may get the wrong reading because you may think you got it out of your Christ in you discerner, and it may have come by the seeing of the eye. See, we got something on the psychologist and the psychiatrist because as he reads your body language, he's not getting a perfect reading, he's guessing. Normally, when a person puts their hand on their face a lot, they're nervous. Well, that's fine. They also might have poison ivy on their neck and be scratching it and trying to be coy about it, you know, and not let you know they're scratching the poison ivy. The psychologist, looking with his natural discernment, he can be wrong. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost discerner, Christ in you, the Word in you, the living Word, can never be wrong. We may jibble, gerble, jibble, garble. We may mess up the message. There may be a scramble sometimes between the heart and the mind, between the spirit and the mind. But God wants his people to know by the spirit what is truth. You want to know where I get my doctrine? I'll just confess to you. So what book did you get your ideas out of? I didn't get them out of anybody's book. Did you get them in seminary? No. Did you get them in Bible college? No, sure didn't. Well, did you get them at the last church you were at from some of the people there? No. Did you get them from the previous church? No, I didn't get them from any of those. Well, where did you come up with all these ideas at? Of course, everybody says, I just got them out of the Bible. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> 
How many of you spend at least an hour every day reading the Bible? Well, how are you going to say you got them out of the Bible? If you don't sit down hour by hour by hour by hour and read the Bible. You didn't get them out of the Bible. You got them from listening and hearing and being taught by different people, going to certain training class, going to college or whatever. Now, I began by getting my doctrine in college, in Bible school, from friends, from men that I thought were great men of God, and many of them were. And I began by learning my doctrine that way, and I had me all kinds of good ideas, and I sounded pretty traditional. And you know what I began doing? I began looking at that scripture where Jesus said, If any man will do my will, if any man will have a pure heart before me, he'll know the word if it's true. And I began to rely on my little Christ in me discerner. And I'd find myself reading stuff in the Bible and my little Christ in me discerner would go bloop, 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 and speak something into my mind about what that, meant, what that meant. And I'd say, well, that's not right. I never learned it that way in seminary. I never learned it that way in college. And I'd say, are you sure, Lord? And I'd, I'd just sense that thing. And I'd say, boy, that feels good. And I'd say, I'll try that. And I'd be up preaching, you know, preaching away. Hallelujah, and I'll tell you something else. And I'd throw it out, you know, and I'd, and I'd get a reading. You say that, how does the Holy Spirit feel? <whistles> Holy Spirit feels good about that. You know where my doctrine has come from? It's the Holy Spirit doctrine in me. And I analyze it and evaluate it by my Christ in me discerner. And oftentimes... I've gotten up to preach something and I had my notes laid out right there and I'm all set to go. Christ in me is not going to say that. And I'd say, he's not going to say that. And I'd go at it from another direction. Yeah, and then Paul did this, you know. My Christ in me discerner wouldn't say that. Couldn't get any liberty to say that. And I'd go home and say, dear, I had this beautiful message. Man, I had it all planned out. I had it all schemed out. I was going to Wow, this is a great message. Yeah. My Christ in me discerner didn't like the message. So what? I had to say something else. And a lot of times I'll be preaching away. My little Christ in me discerner starts going. I said, I'm going the wrong way. Going the wrong way. Got to head another direction. Go off on something else and the spirit begins to lift back up. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. My little Christ in me discerner perks up. I'm on the right track, God. Hallelujah. Did you know that God has placed within you a perfect Christ in you discerner? It never makes a mistake. Would you look down and put your hand right here like this and say, this thing is perfect. Say, this thing is never wrong. It's pure. It's holy. It's alive. It's, alive. it's plugged into God. It's plugged into God. Gets, all Gets all the signals from Him. And it's perfect. it's perfect. Now the only problem is we need to lay our hand back on this thing. I'm not going to ask you to do that. We need to, and say, now this thing makes mistakes. This thing is not perfect. <laughs> Amen. You see where we're coming from? Folks, I'm not saying Christ in me is perfect and Christ in you is no good. You've got the same Holy Ghost discerner in you that i got in me. All we need to do is listen to that thing. I had a man come to me the other day and said, well, I made a business decision yesterday and told a guy I'd sell him this business for so many thousand dollars. 
said, I really feel bad about it. I just, ah, oh, I don't have any peace about it. He said, but I've given him my word as a Christian, I'd do it. I said, I don't care what you gave him. If Christ in you says no, you call him and tell him no. And if you've offended him, if you cost him any money, pay it to him. If you've hurt him, apologize to him. If there's any way that you've wronged him, make it up to him. But if Christ in you is telling you no, 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 I said, don't you dare sell him your business. If Christ in you says no, the answer is no. And if Christ in you says yes, the answer is yes. And forget he was getting a good price for it, see? Making some green stamps, and he thought, now this is a deal. Doesn't matter how many green stamps are involved. Listen to Christ in you. You want to know where Jesus got his information? You think he had a little tube plugged in his ear that went into the sky? And he got this. You think he had a little telephone under his lapel? Dear God. Jesus had a Christ in you discerner. And he had that thing plugged in with a gigantic electrical circuit going right into his mind. And he was getting those perfect readings. And he just went about doing good and healing all the oppressed of the devil. And speaking the word of faith to people and speaking life to people. And he knew he was doing the will of God because he was hooked directly into his Christ in you discerner. And he was happy as a bug in a rug. He was plugged in and he knew it. And he said, I don't do anything that I don't get a good reading in my Christ in you discerner before I do it. And when I get that reading, pow, I'm ready to go. And you know what, folks? You got that same built-in Christ in you discerner. Amen? Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song. Turning the spirit of a man. Our first point on this teaching was how strong is the human spirit? Our second point was how open is the human spirit? Our third point was how aggressive is the human spirit? Our fourth point was how pure is the human spirit? Our fifth point was what qualities or characteristics does the human spirit have? And our last point was that the motives and inner feelings of the human spirit become obvious. I know that these teachings on the gifts of the spirit are a blessing to you, and I just trust that the Lord will open your ears to hear what the spirit would say through these teachings. And so now if you'll turn to side two of this tape, we're going to continue our teaching
there are three and three only basic types of spirits. So we said to discern was the Greek word diakresis, and it means to investigate thoroughly and to thoroughly understand something. And so if you have a little hint that maybe your neighbor smokes too much and they must be demon-possessed, that is not discernment. That is overactive imagination. You know what happens when you have an overactive thyroid or what is that thing that swells out on your neck, a goiter? If you have an overactive imagination, your head swells out. <laughs> it's swelling, but at just a little bit higher level in your head. So we got three types of spirits, and we said the first thing to discern or totally understand, investigate thoroughly a spirit. First of all, let me say that it it must be a spirit that is moving and active. That spirit must be moving in order for you to deal with it. You say, how would you like to cast a spirit of lust out of Ralph Schwarzenegger or Ralph Dufunny? Okay? Unless the spirit of lust is stirring in Ralph Dufunny, there's nothing you can do with the spirit of lust. You can't deal with something that's not present. But when that thing begins to stir and begins to manifest itself, then it can be dealt with. You can't discern something that's not moving. You can only see something that is moving spiritually. And so if something is dormant within a person and is not moving, you don't discern it. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to talk tonight, we talked last time about discerning the human spirit and all the details involved. We want to talk tonight about discerning evil spirits and discerning the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that it is possible for a person to be in this church service and to give a beautiful prophecy at the end of the service, just a glorious, anointed, the Holy Spirit moving and rushing through them, they can get in their car and start down the highway. Somebody can pull out in front of them. They can go into a fit of anger and run their, per run their car into the other person, run them into the ditch, and they could all be killed. And an evil spirit could have prompted them and moved through them in anger and a hatred to ram their car into that other car and knock it into the ditch. That does not mean that what they spoke in the service of the Lord was invalid. It does not mean that they don't have the Holy Spirit. But I say that to say this. It is possible, and not only possible, it happens, friends. You, you folks right there, take your finger and point it this way. You have spoken by an evil spirit. You have allowed yourself on occasion to have an evil spirit move through you. And I dare say not one occasion, and not a dozen, but hundreds of times. We're just not quite clever enough to figure out his devices all the time, and he slips one in on us. There is a distinction between simply being influenced by evil spirits or dark powers or principalities and powers, evil beings, demons. There is a difference between influence and possession. All right? Every person in this room is influenced by those powers. And someday, if the Lord gives us strength and bravery, we will teach you how to spot some of those things, but some of you won't like it too well because some of the things you like so well are also some of the devil's favorite things. Yeah. So when you discover that, you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, there must be a mistake. <laughs> 
No, there's no mistake. The spirit of the world is the devil. But every person in this room is influenced daily by principalities, powers, and demonic forces to some extent. And every sin that you commit, if it becomes any kind of a problem at all, the enemy has his hand in the pie. You tell one lie, and the devil takes notice. Huh, he told a lie. You tell two lies, and the devil says, hey, look at this. He told two lies. Ha ha. And you tell three or four lies, and he says, I've got to get a piece of this action. And he begins to prompt you. And the more he can prompt you, the more he'll come into your life, and eventually you have a lying spirit, and it can take you over. And you find yourself lying about everything compulsively. cannot control yourself from lying because a lying spirit took a hold of you. You cannot be a person who is truthful, honest, and sincere, going about the highway of life, and a lying spirit come and take a hold of you. That is not possible. You cannot be a person with a normal sex life, everything just put, put, long, and a spirit of lust come and get a hold of you. You have to yield to the thing over and over again and form a pattern and form a habitual practice, and the enemy moves in on that, and he's got a tool to unscrew your crankcase with, and he begins to go to work on you, and ultimately you become possessed. If a person says, I'm demon-possessed, my first question would be, well, what's your worst sin? Let's go to work on the problem. Well, sin, I didn't say I had any sin in my life. <laughs> I said I was demon-possessed. And they don't seem to understand that you're not riding along the highway of life, you know, quoting John 3, 16, and a demon came and got you. That's crazy. That's superstition, witchcraft talk. The truth is the only way an evil spirit gets control over you is if you yield to it over and over and over and over and over and over, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and ultimately you form a pattern and the enemy comes in and takes complete control of your being. Let me say this about <clears throat> quote-unquote deliverance ministries. There are no such thing. There is no such thing? How do you want me to say it? There is no such thing as deliverance ministry. Show me chapter and verse. See, I got this book here. And you may know John Doe and Iggy Schwartz, but I have a book. And in my book, I don't find a deliverance minister. Show me. Show me chapter and verse. There ain't no such thing, friends. I have a ministry in deliverance. Show me. There's not any such thing. Ain't no such creature. Are you an apostle? Are you a prophet? Are you an evangelist? Are you a pastor? Are you a teacher? Do you have the ministry of helps? Do you have the ministry of giving? Do you have the ministry of administration? Well, I'm a deliverance minister. Where? Where? All this demon chasing stuff is a lot of foolishness, my friends. It's insanity, and it's based on emotional instability. And for me to go around and picking at people and saying, uh, I see a little problem in your life, uh, methinks me sees a demon. You know what that's going to do to you emotionally? You're going to be walking around terrorized. Oh, I think I got one. Oh, I think I got one. Oh, ha, <laughs> ha. And you cause for yourself and others great emotional strain. You know how many people I've had to spend hours talking out of thinking they had demons? 
And you know how many hours I've had to spend trying to talk into the fact that they had demons, other people who haven't? You see, usually the person who's bothered the most is not going to tell you they have any problem. <laughs> and the ones who are convinced, I have a demon, I tell you, I do, I have an evil spirit. Usually they're just people who need love and help, and they may have a couple of bad habits, and they need to forgive themselves, they need to find love and forgiveness from others. But we have so often misguided things. And I want to show you a scripture verse. Let's nail some of these concepts down to the scripture. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Let me make one last statement on deliverance ministry. The stronger you get and the more capability you have in the gifts of the Spirit and the more strength you have the more God himself will send people to you who have been tormented by evil spirits and things. Do you have any idea in the last month how many people have contacted me who have evil spirits? And I have never talked to these people before. Call me up at midnight and say, I got a legion of demons and I need to talk to you. And I said, why me? Well, I don't know. I was riding down the road and I saw your sign out front. Our sign doesn't say demon casting out parties. <laughs> Deliverance ministry doesn't say anything like that. So I saw your sign out front and something in me told me that if I would come and you prayed for me, I'd be helped. And I said, well, I believe that. And one lady called last week. She hadn't showed up yet. I said, here's my address and you know where the church is. Come and see us. She said, oh, i got a heap of demons. I said, come on, we'll talk to you. But you'll find that the more capable you are of handling things like that, the more the Lord will send them. But only a person with very low understanding would say, I have a ministry of dealing with demons. No one in their right mind would want such a deal. And if it came out that way, anyone with good sense would say, Lord, let's change it just a little. I want to deal with some normal people too. <laughs> Who'd want to deal with people who are demonically tormented all the time? And there aren't that many of them anyway. <clears throat> Back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we find an interesting story of Jesus our Master, Jesus our Savior. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 22. They were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching. Now look, they weren't astonished at what he said, but look at the rest of that verse. He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Something I have often said to people that blew their mind was, a girl came over to my house one time and she said, uh, I have this problem. I said, I know you do. She said, well, you want me to tell you what it is? I said, I already know what it is. She had something else in mind. And uh, she said, well, tell me then, what is it? And I said, you have a sex problem, and I described it to her. I said, you have another problem, too, and I described that to her. And she said, who says I have those problems? And I said, I say so. She went, I said, are you going to deny it? She said, no, I'm not going to deny it. It's true. You see, if the Holy Spirit is present and you know something by the Spirit, 
And I could have said, Jesus says so. Well, Jesus told me, and he's using my mouth, and I'm the one who said so. But the point is, in the world, the man of God has no authority. Jesus came into a group where all these guys had PhDs, and they were all scholars, and they all wanted to argue about Hebrew and Greek and all these different things and philosophy and argue about the law. But they had no authority. They didn't claim to have any authority. They simply said, I have great learning to share with you. And they had 14-point outlines, and they gave you all the details, and you were supposed to be happy. Jesus came in. Instead of standing there calmly, he began to thunder on the multitudes. Hallelujah! Here's how it is. And prophesy, thus saith the Lord. And they thought, dear God, this guy's different. He's not like those other guys. And you know what happens? They were astonished that he had authority. And he taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes because they never taught as the person who had authority. I have sat in so many classes and heard them say, well, John Calvin said it this way, and the Presbyterians teach it this way, and of course the Christian church says it this way, and you want to say, would you shut up and just tell us what you think? And in the final analysis, a whole lot of professors in Bible college and seminary will never tell you what they think. They'll only tell you what so-and-so said and what so-and-so said and what so-and-so said. And then if you catch them up in something or if you don't like what they said or if you think it's heretical and you question it, they'll say, well, I didn't say that. I said that Emil Brunner said that. Well, if that's not what you believe, why did you bother telling us? But there's a whole way of going about teaching the Word of God. And Jesus taught with authority. And the scribes and Pharisees, it just burned their hide. They just couldn't stand that. And it also burns evil spirits hide. Look at this. There was in the synagogue. What's he doing in the synagogue? Well, he's a good church member. There was right there a good church member who just happened to have an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What are we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all what? Amazed. Now, friends, here we have Jesus in a church service speaking with authority, and there was a good anointing, and the more anointing that flowed, there was a good old church fellow back there just relaxing, enjoying himself. And the more the anointing flowed, the more this person got stirred up. And they just gritted their teeth, and they just got stirred up. And the more Jesus taught, and the more he pressed home his subject, the more stirred up they got, and the more stirred up they got, and the more stirred up they got. And you see, when the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching the person, ah, ah, bless the name of Jehovah, just as happy as a bug in a rug. But when authority came and Jesus began to hammer home his points and he began to teach and he began to say, here's how it is, praise God, and he began to move with authority in a spiritual dimension, the person with evil spirit that got... <coughs> They got more and more nervous and upset. And finally, they couldn't stand it anymore, and they just leaped up. And he said, leave us alone. 
Whatever Jesus was talking about just happened to be the problem that the evil spirit had. <laughs> so whether it was lust or whether it was spirit of adultery or a lying spirit or whatever, Jesus was hammering. Let's say it was a lying spirit. Jesus was talking about the truth. Father is the truth. We need to speak the truth to our neighbor. And he that speaks the lies of the devil. And he's, he's going on in this guy with the evil spirit getting all shook up, you know. Good old church member. Good old boy. And finally he leaped up and he said, I can't stand it anymore. Jesus is crazy. And he said, why do you do this to me? Leave me alone. The evil spirit in him just burst forth. And his neighbors went, oh, I never thought Iggy had a problem like that. And everyone was amazed. I want to give you just a couple of seconds on a tape here. I want to play a tape. And I'll tell you the situation about this tape so we won't have to explain it in great detail. I was in a meeting and a man who was a prophet was ministering. And he'd about worn himself out and he stopped and no one was kind enough to get him a glass of water. He ran out in the foyer and got a drink. And as he came back, he had been praying for people and there was a dream atmosphere. I mean, it just wasn't a normal service. It was just, you could almost see a blue haze in the air. It was just dreamy. I mean, you hardly knew where you were at. And nobody was in their seats and nobody was standing anywhere in particular. They were just kind of standing around in slow motion, you know. Ah, it's just a wild, eerie kind of service. And he was ministering like crazy to these people. And he went out in the foyer and he came back in. And they had long since not had any prayer line. He was just walking around ministering to people. And people were just walking around going, Hallelujah. Just like a dream. Exactly. In fact, let me pinch myself. Maybe it was a dream. It was wild. One thing is, he did that three or four nights in a row. And it was a dream every night. Anybody like to dream? Well, he came back in from getting his drink, and there was a young girl, I don't know how old she was, so high, you know, and she had an evil spirit. And I don't know that he'd noticed it before or not, but when he walked back in that door and started walking up there, bang, he just knew it. He discerned it. He saw it. He understood it. He comprehended it. He thoroughly investigated. He saw. He knew the girl had an evil spirit. She wasn't doing anything. But he went immediately up to her and began to pray for her. And she began to cry, and she cried out in a scream that was similar. The only thing I could compare it to is I have... Well, you want to know what it means when it says in Mark 1 that the person, the demon tore the person and they screamed... The only thing I could compare it to is I've seen a dog run over by a car and that last, that last scream is similar to what this girl screamed when an evil spirit came out. I want to play it for you. Just hold on a second. It'll just take a second. You ready? Hallelujah. Let it go, let it go, let it go. <laughs> 
Did you hear that last scream? It had a different pitch, a different tone than any of the other ones. Friends, that wasn't somebody who came for deliverance and asked for help. That was a person who was standing there minding her own business, a young girl. And by a gift of the Holy Spirit, it was determined that she had an evil spirit. There was no long ordeal. There was no ritual. The whole thing didn't last a minute. It just happened. By the power of the Holy Spirit, almost instantaneously, almost as soon as he saw it, he just went right over and laid his hands on her and just began to pray in tongues, and she just began to cry and scream, and she screamed several times, and finally that, just a gut-wrenching scream, and she was released. There are two things about discerning an evil spirit. An evil spirit is either going to show up in church or somewhere other than church, right? I mean, you only got two options. <laughs> An evil spirit either shows up at church or somewhere other than church. When an evil spirit shows up at church, what exactly is the goal or the purpose? You have the possibility that a person has come who is unaware that they have a problem and who totally, miraculously, instantaneously, out of nowhere, is delivered in a supernatural act, which is what happened there. You have also a person who may come into a service not knowing that they have a problem, and the evil spirit within them just explode in the service and do great evil and begin to scream obscenities, etc., in which case you have the ushers take them out. That doesn't normally happen. But let me stop and say this. Most evil spirits are very religious. Somehow we've got the wrong idea. Evil spirits, folks, most of them are very religious. If you were talking to a demon-possessed person, they might quote ten Bible verses to you that they didn't even know. Supernaturally, the evil spirit know. But most evil spirits are very religious. Normally in a church service... When an evil spirit is shown or demonstrated, it will be in a case where the person wants to be seen and heard. Now, I have been to places where a person would be sitting, minding their own business, and right in the middle of as you're teaching or preaching or whatever, just totally out of line, out of order, with no rhyme or reason, they would just simply begin to scream, Hallelujah! And then they sit back down. You think, dear Lord, here we go again. And five minutes later, they leap up. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Where are the ushers? Oh, Lord. And there is something about a religious spirit that wants to disrupt a service. In a place like this, where there is authority, spiritual authority, and where people have relationships, those kind of spirits do not come forth as much. If I were to go out here and begin to set up little meetings at holiday inns and motels and home meetings where stragglers and different people were coming in that I didn't know necessarily, probably every second or third, fourth service we'd have a problem like that occur. And so what people who travel and go out and meet with all these little groups and they you know, John Doe, the faith healer, is appearing at the Holiday Inn in the ballroom, and he's going to have a little... He'll have a couple of guys with him. 
and they'll be trained, and when dear old brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so leaps up and says, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Then there'll be a couple of big guys go over to the people on either side of them and say, Could you move and let me sit here, please? And this person who is so holy and righteous with their religious spirit will find themselves sitting between two big guys and about the next time they'll say would you please restrain yourself and about the next time they will physically remove them from the service a church like this we don't have so much problem with that because we don't have that many pseudo-religious people with religious spirits floating in off the streets but I will say this a religious spirit wants to be seen and wants to be heard. If a visitor comes in off the street cold and they have a religious spirit, they will want to be seen and they will want to be heard and they will come right up to me and stand in a very rebellious manner in front of me and say, I have something to say. And I'm thinking, yes, I'll bet you do. <laughs> Because a religious spirit makes a person be what? Religious. Some of the most religious people in America are possessed by evil spirits who cause them to be extra religious. You see, the best people and the worst people in a church are those who have the Holy Spirit and serve God and those who have a religious spirit and serve to be seen and heard. A person who has a religious spirit, I don't care if anything's happened to them this week or not. When you say, anybody got a testimony? Me? Hallelujah! I got that testimony. <laughs> Maybe the same testimony they gave last week, the week before, and the week before. But they're going to give it, and you're not going to stop them. Because that religious spirit is determined to speak, and you're going to listen. One way or the other. I've been in churches where I served as an elder. Pastor's right-hand man. Went out with him to ordain people. I mean, I was right in there with the boss and all this kind of stuff. I would not let myself give a prophecy every week. If I found myself, I said, man, I got up, took over the show three weeks in a row. That's it. I don't care, God. I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you say to me. I'm going to sit down and rest a while because I'm not going to allow anything in me to cause me to be up every week wanting to do something. Hey, look at this. You want to hear me prophesy again? Yay, thus said God. Well, folks, <laughs> the devil's got a thus saith God too. And if you feel a compulsion to do that all the time, I don't care how good it sounds. Just back off just a little bit and go easy because a religious spirit makes people be extremely religious. Some of the most religious people I know are demon-possessed. And the problem is you can't convince them that they have a demon. All they want to do is quote Bible verses. Yeah, but what about the Word? The Word says... <laughs> well, I know about the Word, see. And the key is they live in such reams and tons and tons of sin and lying and deceit and all these problems... And they can't ever get counseling for any problems because they're too busy counseling other people and helping them. A religious spirit shows up at church and demands that it be heard and seen and demonstrated. So we have two things about the discerning of evil spirits. 
First of all, in church, what we normally find is a demand for attention, a demand to be heard. And it may be something that sounds real good. I mean, a person could come in the door and you'd say, does anyone have a testimony? They could walk right up, stand in my face, turn around, say, God has blessed me so much, you wouldn't believe what he's done for me that's good. Look over me with hatred. God is so good. I'll tell you, he's wonderful. And most of you say, amen. You think, there's something creepy about this. And you say, amen. Something creepy about this whole thing. And a guy may be manifesting 500 tons of evil. But see, the devil's not dumb. He's not going to disrupt the church service normally with someone screaming obscenities. They're going to be screaming, Hallelujah! Until you have to take them out of the service. You don't think I've been to a bunch of services like that, do you? Folks, that's not the Holy Ghost out of control. Guess what? The Holy Ghost has never been out of control. And the Holy Spirit does not make people out of control. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Only the devil is the author of confusion. So, there is another way, and this is not as frequent, but it does happen. An evil spirit may move upon a person to bring what I call a railing accusation against the body of Christ. Now, we are the body of Christ in this place. It's not to say there aren't other Christians in the land. Not to say that the Lutheran church, some people there don't love Jesus. But we're the body of Christ. We're sitting here, and guess what? Jesus loves us. We're his bride. We're his girlfriend. He dates us. He comes to see us on Sunday morning and Sunday night to tell us that he loves us. Some of us don't always come, but he's here to tell you he loves you. If you'll come, he'll love you. Now, do you think he's going to speak real mean and ugly to his girlfriend? Uh-uh. I don't care if we've sinned. If there's sin in the church, he's not going to be ugly to us. I don't care what has happened. The Lord Jesus is not going to be mean and ugly to his people. And I've been in the service when some dear supposed saint would rise up and begin to bring rolling accusations against the Lord's people. Thus saith God, my people are steeped in idolatry and hatred. And begin to speak all kinds of railing accusations against the body of Christ. And friends, whether or not there's any truth to it is irrelevant. It's evil. Did you know that my wife has a fault or two? Now, not many, just a fault or two. I already know what they are. And I have a fault or two myself. Now, not many. Don't get the wrong idea. Just a few. But you know that sometimes I sit her down and talk to her about her faults, and sometimes she sits me down and talks to me about my faults. But do you think I ever bring a railing accusation against my wife and rail on her? I don't. You think she does me? You better not. Better be nice, dear. And so occasionally the enemy will move upon someone to bring a railing accusation against the body of Christ, and it is totally 
satanic. Even if there's truth in it, it's totally satanic, should be recognized for such. The last time I was in a service and that happened, I was on the platform, but I wasn't in charge of the service. And a dear sister got up and brought a railing accusation against the body of Christ that tore my heart out. I got down and laid on the floor. I mean, I laid on the floor and just cried. I said, God, you see, if I had been in charge, I would have done something to her. I said, what? Well, I don't know. I'd have stopped her if I had put my hand over her face. I've done that a time or two, too. I would have stopped her one way or the other. But I wasn't in charge, and I wasn't at liberty to go around doing anything. I just laid down on the floor, and I began to weep before God, and I said, God, stop the whole thing. I, in Jesus' name, I command this service to turn around. Father, I want these people to be edified. Lord, stop every word that she said. Cause it to fall to the ground, and let the power of the Holy Spirit take over this service. And I laid there and wept about five minutes. And all of a sudden, somebody else got up and gave a prophecy, and pew, the whole tide just turned. And that was one of the most beautiful services. And what happened was the Lord started moving on people in a beautiful way, and people got up and just started confessing sins the whole body. And we sat there for an hour and a half. People confessed sin and wept, and a father and son came up and confessed sin and wept together, and they both, you know, had been going out and drinking and all this kind of stuff. And they wept, and they confessed it, the Father to the Son, the Son to the Father, and all of them to the church. And people just lined up, a big line of people standing up to confess their sins publicly and ask for forgiveness from their brother and sister. The most beautiful service you could imagine. But right at the beginning of it, the enemy said, Boy, I got myself a good time. You! And he spoke to somebody who'd listen and who'd move at his voice. And he brought a railing accusation against the body of Christ that was evil. Now, the Holy Spirit recovered the service, and it ended up being a glorious service. But the enemy does have an interest in disrupting church services. He has a very strong, very active interest. We find in the book of Acts another story of something like that. Let's just turn over there very quickly. Acts chapter 16 we have the Apostle Paul doing some missionary work. Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> We're going to begin reading in verse 16. Another interesting case of a church service where the enemy was disrupting the service. Acts chapter 16 and verse 16 says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer... A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, and that is the girl that had a spirit of ventriloquism, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, notice he wasn't talking to her, he was talking to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. So I want to say this. Here is the Apostle Paul teaching some Bible studies, doing a little missionary work, and right in the middle of his teaching, 
this lady would leap up and say, These men are the great power of God. They teach the true way of salvation. Right in the middle of when he was talking. Finally, she went too far. She'd done that a number of times, and Paul could see that she had an evil spirit, a very religious spirit. And finally, he says, while they were praying, right in the middle of Paul's prayer. Now, whether he taught on salvation, whether he taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether he taught on healing, here he is, he's been teaching. He gets to the end. And they're having a prayer, and he's saying, Oh, God, we just ask that you take this service, and if there's any person here. And right in the middle of that, she leaps up. Hallelujah! These men are the great power of God! And he said, That's it. That's it. That's it. And he turned to her and said, Come out of her! It's also interesting that she did not scream, and the evil spirit did not come out of her immediately. But by a gift of supernatural faith, by faith, he said, it will come out. And he exercised a gift of supernatural faith. And the scripture says within the hour, within less than an hour, that spirit had just left her. Didn't come out immediately. If Jesus had spoken to her, come out of her, she would have, and it would have just explosively left instantly. But Paul didn't have quite as much of the power of God as Jesus did. I mean, no one does, do they? <laughs> hope, hope nobody thinks they do. And so when Paul spoke to it, there was a time lapse. By faith, he just pressed it until it happened. And so there has always been a tendency on the part of the evil one to disrupt a church service through the moving of an evil spirit. Now, let's say a few words about an evil spirit that is not in a church service. Let me give you a little bit of an outline here. Discerning evil spirits, I have point number one, discovering an evil source of compulsive behavior. If there is not compulsive behavior involved, you have no reason to assume that anyone is possessed by a demon. I don't care how ornery Uncle Ned is, there's no reason for you to suspect he's possessed of a demon unless you have supernatural knowledge of that fact or unless he has compulsive behavior tendencies. You want to know if you have trouble with demons, if you're demon-possessed tonight? Let me ask you this. Do you have compulsive behavior tendencies? Do you have to lie when there's no reason to lie? Do you find yourself telling ten lies a day with no reason? No rhyme, no purpose, no reason, just you tell lie after lie after lie, uncontrollably, compulsively? Do you find yourself compulsively, habitually caught up in sex and you can't be free from it and it is a habitual, compulsive, irrational pattern for you? Is there a sin in your life that has become compulsive and habitual that totally overpowers you and you find yourself with no ability whatsoever to cope with it. It's just like it takes you over. Well, if so, then there's a good possibility that you have been possessed by an evil spirit, that you are. But if you do not have any signs of irrationality and totally compulsive behavior, then you have no reason to think that you are possessed by an evil spirit. 
However, as I said before, all of us are moved upon and influenced by evil spirits. All of us. That's even you and even me. We are all influenced by evil spirits because there are millions of them and they nudge and nudge and nudge and the more we'll go, the more they'll lead and the more that we'll follow, the more they'll woo. And so we're all influenced, but as far as being possessed is a totally different matter, okay? So he said under discerning evil spirits, we have discovering an evil source of compulsive behavior. We gave the illustration of Jesus and the good old church member in Mark chapter 1. Then we said discovering a satanic attack upon the body of Christ. We gave some illustrations and then we talked about Paul and their Bible studies and him trying to minister to people and someone attacking his ministry although they couldn't attack it directly. So they attacked it by saying something good about him, but by disrupting the service by doing it. Also, we want to say a word about what personality does an evil spirit have? Oftentimes in the scripture, it was referred to as a dumb spirit or a deaf spirit or a spirit of infirmity, a foul spirit, an unclean spirit, a lying spirit. All this terminology is used in the Bible. And that is actually determining the nature of the spirit that is involved. And so a person may have been speaking quite normally and a spirit take hold of them and then be unable to speak or unable to hear. Because that spirit may be a spirit of blasphemy and it may have blasphemed Almighty God, and he may have cursed it and said, Thou shalt not speak from henceforth forever. And so you have a spirit operating under a curse that is unable to speak, and if that spirit happened to have a particular sin that you enjoyed, and you continued enjoying it, and you just continued enjoying it, and you continued yielding to it, that spirit may come in and take you over, and at some point you'd find yourself when you're committing that sin, you just, all of a sudden, you couldn't say anything because that spirit had totally come into control of your being and you had adopted the spirit's traits and the spirit happened to be under a curse because it was a blasphemous spirit and could no longer speak, okay? This message on discerning of spirits will be continued on the following tape.